just past 7 o'clock. Here we go. It's Monday night. Time for Iron Sports. True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. It's going to be a great show tonight. Naira, back in studio. We are live. This is exciting. What have you been up to this week? What up to? Well, two Heat games. Yeah. So I saw the Heat play the Suns, got blown out by the Suns as they beat the Rockets. So I've been going down to Miami. I'll go tomorrow. They're playing Detroit. So catch that. I mean, it's it's funny. The reason why the Heat play all these games is they don't have NCAA tournaments. So it seems like there's no <laughs> conference championships in the in Miami in the FTX arena. So that's why you have their final games. I think of like twelve of the last sixteen games were at home. So. Well, everyone else is lending their stadiums, stadiums to college <laughs> yeah. Uh, basketball. Yeah, out to college basketball teams. We do have a great show on tap for you uh, tonight. Seth Wickersham has been on the show before. We're going to have him right about seven ten. Yeah, ESPN senior writer, the expert. He wrote the book on Brady and Belichick and the Patriots. So considering the news of the week or the news of yesterday, I thought it was great to bring Seth back to come on and talk about what about Tom Brady. And then we're going to have uh, Fran Duffy, who's been our co- on our show before, former head coach at Temple and University of Pennsylvania. Uh, he'll talk about the NCAA tournament. Going to be a uh, fantastic show once we get to those guys. But Ira, you brought it up already, so... Let's talk about it. I really was not expecting my phone to go crazy yesterday evening with the news of Tom Brady retiring. He was uh, out for a whole 40 days, decided maybe I don't need to spend that much time with my family, and Tom Brady coming back to the Bucks. Well, we talked about this, though, because last week on the show, we said Aaron Rodgers, when we listen to the interviews, it's like he's talking about his diet and about this and about hiking over this place. It's Aaron Rodgers seemed like he wanted to retire. Tom Brady did not want to retire. Yeah. <laughs> he has no desire to retire. He retired. And then they, they talked about leaving the light on. They just leave the light on. Tampa Bay left the light, the door, everything, the snacks <laughs> on there's snacks out there for him, everything. And he made the announcement. He's coming back. So really, if it's, he wasn't really retired. It's 41 days. You know, he didn't miss anything. And, and I guess they made it announced because it's free agents is starting. He didn't want them to sign like Teddy Brown. Bridgewater or any other quarterback. So he said, I'm coming back. And it was like, it, it, again, it's so funny. NSA tournaments going on, free agent signing, all these other sports, everything going on. But Brady says, I'm coming back. And that's the big story of the day. That's all anyone cared about. Once that news came out, it was all uh, anybody was talking about. I'm wondering now what it was that, you know, obviously his family, but there was a lot of rumors that he wasn't getting along with Bruce Arians, maybe it was the Bucks organization in general, and that he might go to San Francisco. There was all these weird things. For him to come back and go right back to Tampa without even talking to anybody – it kind of makes me think those were just rumors, Ira. I mean, obviously, he doesn't have that big of an issue. No, definitely. He chose that he wanted to come back. And, uh, boy, the next year, <laughs> there's going to be some great games in Tampa. They play the Rams at home, the Bengals at home, the Packers at home, and the Chiefs at home. Is that awesome to have those four teams play? You'll but, be at all of them, probably. But, I mean, they, again, it's Tampa was smart. I mean, Tampa, Jason, like their uh, general manager, played it smart. It's like they must have had a feeling that he was there was some talk that he was going to come back because they didn't really produce Sue. They said all the things, you know, they sort of said he's welcome if he won. That's where he's going to play. Even though someone asked Arians, they go, would you trade him? He goes, no, he's either <laughs> going to play for us or not play at all. Um, another big thing that's sort of hidden under the radar is he's coming back for a $25 million salary, which is really like $20 million for cap purposes. But Aaron Rodgers might sign for $50 million. Mm-hmm. Kirk Cousins just signed for $35 million. So it's it's very team-friendly and cap-friendly. And they're like, oh, well, why this? But again, this is huge. It's $25. Now it's, that's $25 million compared to Green Bay that they can sign all these other players. Uh, Tom Brady's coming back to win a Super Bowl. That's all. Without a doubt. And, and Chris Godwin now was franchise-tagged, but he's going to miss the beginning of the season. So he's going to be down Chris Godwin this Really smart on his part. Here's $25 million. Go get me some more receivers. What if Gronk doesn't want to come back? He probably will. But what if Gronk doesn't come back? I'm going to need a tight end. Well, you they know, signed the center, Ryan Jansen, yes. already. So it's it's like – it's. but I, I guess I'm excited. It's one of those things – I think what's so funny about it is that people aren't really criticizing him. They're not like when Brett Favre was like, I retire, I don't retire. You know, Brady is like, okay, you can do what he wants. I mean, I'm sure Brady's going to have a commercial, like, an oh, F- yeah. you know, for his FTX, you know, about retiring or crypto.com and retire. <laughs> it's like, it's like people are like, you're Tom Brady of the GOAT. You can do what you want. Absolutely. He, he is carte blanche with pretty much every fan, uh, every fan there is, unless maybe Jet fans. I'm assuming Jets and uh, Dolphins fans don't love him so much. Free agency starts on Wednesday, Ira, but that doesn't mean that we're not already hearing about transactions. I don't want to say it's surprising, but the Jaguars out here spending money, bringing Brandon Scherf um, from Washington. They gave $21 million a year to Christian Kirk. 
he's about as middle of the road a receiver people, as tell I can where, imagine. Tell people where he's from. People don't know Arizona Cardinals. <laughs> he was like the number three slash four with Rondale Moore. He's going to be there, I guess, number three now. You get an $84 million contract. That's a little strange. They also picked up. Uh, you know, bust of the century for the Giants. Well, one of many. Uh, Evan Ingram to a one-year, nine million dollar deal. Um, any other people you've seen flying around that that hits a high note for you? Well, Teddy Bridgewater signing. They, they just now, just now with the Dolphins. Uh, uh, clearly, D- Teddy Bridgewater started for Denver last year. He's been at the Saints. Rumored everywhere. Um, I think. I mean, I just think they're looking for a backup to Tua. I mean, there's no way they're going to start Teddy over Tua unless Tua gets. I think it's more of a backup role. But I was surprised with that because I thought Bridgewater could go somewhere else. And maybe Try to compete, start. You start for a job. Steelers signed uh, Mitch Trubisky. Uh, people well, forget. he he claims that they're signing him. The Steelers haven't said anything. Mitch Trubisky was the second overall pick in the 2017 draft, and that was the same draft that Patrick Mahomes was picked further. Deshaun Watson as well. <laughs> yes, and he started in 50 games uh, uh, for the Bears and was 29 and 21, and, and just driven out of town. Now he went to Buffalo last year. They said people said he looked great in a preseason game and looked great in practice. So that's whatever for the Steelers. But that's the Steelers competition, Mitch Trubisky and Mason Rudolph and Dwayne Askins. So that's the next air. It's uh, after, what was it, 18 years of uh, of knowing who your quarterback <laughs> is every Sunday. Things a little up in the air. And th- that was interesting to me too, Ira, because I know the Giants were in play and it made sense with, you know, the Giants having the assistant general manager and the offensive coordinator. He knows the system. They, they could bring him right in. I don't know if he, I mean, I guess he made the right choice because he's going to clearly beat out those other two. He would have had to fight Daniel Jones for the job. I think he would have won it anyway, but I guess he, Pittsburgh's a better run organization at this point, so I can't blame him at all. Hopefully it works out for you guys. I don't think he was as bad as as the rap he gets in Chicago and the way they ran him out of town. He took that team to the playoffs twice. Right, and I think you're seeing, in a lot of these moves, you're seeing players leave and go to uh, greener pastures, per se, where people don't have the criticisms of what they had there. I mean, We saw we're going to talk about baseball. We're going to talk about Gary Sanchez. Gary Sanchez, I've never seen a player more criticized for the Yankees who's a catcher. Yeah. And now he's going to play at Minnesota, so he won't be criticized. In, you know, People will not have the, the pressure that you would have in the Bronx, but clearly it's... Some of these players that you're saying that they they can't turn them around, they have a lot of pressure. The, the Bears got rid of him, and now, but he signed a good deal. I mean, he's making like ten million dollars a year. Yeah. So you're right; he's he was signed for ten million to to start for the Steelers. And, and you know, I think I talk about it all the time. We both talk about how you're kind of compared to who you're drafted with, and the reason that Tua constantly gets poo pooed is because well, Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert were in that draft. If Mr. Trubisky was in the uh, Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield draft, would we be talking about him differently? The fact that he was drafted before Mahomes and Watson? I mean, that that weighs on people's consciousness. That's why he was such a bum. It's like you traded up for this guy. Meanwhile, if he just got drafted 15th, and you know, had it was playing decently. I don't think we'd be in the same situation. And I think that the signing for the Steelers really because they weren't able to get it, Russell Wilson, of course, Aaron Rodgers, and whatever Tom Brady, whatever that we're going to talk about. But the fact is, it it really points to they're going to be looking in for a rookie, uh, whether it's Kenny Pickett, Malik, Malik Willis. But clearly, the Steelers wanted needed uh, quarterbacks because they need to have a quarterback until the rookie's ready to see what happens. So I think that was one. That's it's sort of you're starting to see the path the Steelers are taking. Trubisky, Mason Rudolph. You know, one or two, one A, one one A. Draft a rookie and then see what happens. Yeah, and I mean, it's not like they don't look at the skill players that they have in Pittsburgh compared to what he had in Chicago. Right. Allen Robinson's fine, but that's all that they had. They've got a lot there. Uh, other notable uh, moves: we saw Amari Cooper get traded for a bag of donuts from the Cowboys to the uh, Browns, and then the Browns. I guess they were saying Jarvis Landry wasn't thrilled about this. They're trying to restructure Jarvis Landry anyway, and now he's just outright released. And they're saying he might go to Tampa. So that's one I another that. player that might go. Certainly no discussion of Antonio Brown going anywhere yeah. at all. <laughs> and he, he fit, fits that role. I mean, that's what he does. It's what Antonio Brown does. He's not as good, but you slot well, him Jarvis right in as Landry your number three. Jarvis Landry fits that role, yes, exactly. Yes, Jarvis Landry fits and the slot guy. You could see him catching 90 passes, yes. really. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, we brought up Deshaun Watson earlier, and... No criminal charges are going to be brought against him, so I guess the feeding frenzy's on for the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes. I I still think he's going to be suspended for six mo- games or two I think for, so too. for an entire year. So whoever's going to bring him bring him on or trade, but it looks like right now the Saints and the Carolina Panthers are going to make try to make a trade for Deshaun Watson. But I feel like I, mean, I think I was shocked that they tried to indict him and they had like nine potential indictments and and the grand jury refused to indict him. So now he's just dealing with civil cases. 
which leads me to believe that, yes, he's going to get suspended by the league. He was paid all last year, didn't play a game. Mm -hmm. So I assume that he'll be, I would, nothing less than a six-month, six-game. But I I could see a whole year. But I think if you're Carolina, you're like, well, this is our chance to get to this quarterback or or New Orleans, too. Anything else in football before we get to Seth Wickersham? Um, The only thing I would say is that next year, if you turn your TVs on, you're going to get confused because these announcers have all gone to different teams. Like Joe Buck and Troy Aikman are now going to do Monday Night Football, and everyone's moving around at Al Michaels, and it's going to games on Amazon. We have a lot of time to talk about that, but it's a a big change for next year in broadcasting. Let's get to Seth Wickersham, Iron Sports. This is Iron Sports, 95.9, 106.9 West Palm Beach, and we're honored to have back on the show Seth Wickersham, author of It's Better to Be Feared, probably the sports book of 2021. And I, I said, Seth, it's one of the best books I've read ever, sports books. This summer, if you're going to the beach, you know, I know the book came out in October. It's one of the best books to take. Just take that book, forget about the other books, and just read it. So congratulations on the success of It's Better Than Be Feared. And we had you come on to talk about Tom Brady. Thank you. It's my pleasure. We're, we're probably going to be talking about Tom Brady for several years to come. So anytime <laughs> I can do it with you, it's a pleasure to do it. <laughs> so the first question, let's make it simple. Why did he retire in the first place? I think he was tired and I think he was tired of playing for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think that he had a lot of um, sincere interest in a lot of his off field things, his Brady brand, all these new endeavors he could get into. But, you know, at the end of the day, he's a quarterback. And I think that um, a lot of things can be true at once. It can be true that, you know, 41 days ago, he didn't want to play football and, maybe he realized he was kidding himself and kidding everybody and wanted to come back and play. And it's one of the benefits of being Tom Brady. You don't have to play by anybody else's rules. But the thing that interests me is that he retired from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 41 days ago and came back to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I think that that evolution is really interesting. You mentioned you sent a tweet out today about Magic Johnson when he retired and unretired or whatever mm-hmm. back in those days. And, and you were talking about something that one of the authors wrote about Magic Johnson comparing him to, uh, to Tom Brady. Yeah, I think that like when you have these, you know, extremely ambitious and successful athletes, um, a lot of the, you know, the passion for the game and the interest in continuing to play is rooted in love for the game, um, fear for it not being there and what that might do in your life. And, you know, it's just, as you know, as as we get older, you know, whatever personality traits we have, they tend to not wane. Instead, they tend to intensify. And I think that that's what's going on with Tom. And I think that, you know, he's someone who, even for the moments where he, you know, kind of is trying to find, figure out his mind and find his way, he's always known himself pretty well. And like, I go back to the 60 Minutes interview that he did when he was 27 years old. That's back when, you know, Brady was the underdog, right? I mean, a long time ago. And um, Steve Croft, the interviewer, asked him, is there anything that really scares you, that really scares, you know, Tom Brady? And he said, the end of my playing career. He was 27 years old. <laughs> and I think that what's obvious is that he's, he's still not ready for the end of his playing career. You said that you were surprised that he came back to Tampa. I mean, we heard some things. You heard about maybe San Francisco going home, other teams. But when he came back, it was was not the announcement, oh, I'm coming back to play. It says, I'm coming back. There's unfinished business. I'm coming back to Tampa, the Tampa Bay. Yeah. And I mean, I think that there were some frustrations at the end of the season. It, you know, the way that things were going there and, you know, the Bucks just weren't as, as buttoned up as, the teams that Tom Brady is used to quarterbacking. And obviously Sean McDermott of the Buffalo Bills took a bunch of heat for the way that they lost the playoff game against the Kansas City Chiefs. But Bruce Arians and the Tampa Bay Bucks made a lot of mistakes, a lot of very similar mistakes in their loss to the LA Rams. Obviously, um, you know, after they had tied the game, there was 40 some seconds left, you know, they kicked the ball out of the end zone. So they don't, even let the Rams return it and give them a chance to, to waste some clock doing it. Um, and then finally the dagger play, you know, when all you need to do is keep the Rams inbounds and let the clock run and you go to overtime, they blitz Matthew Stafford, one of the best quarterbacks in the league against the blitz and singled up 
receiver Cooper Cup with a safety. I mean, that was a, a horrendous call that lost them a playoff game. And, you know, I think that when you're a perfectionist like Tom Brady and you've been raised in the most button-up system that exists in Bill Belichick's New England Patriots, as cold and emotionless as it is sometimes, there's a reason why they win a lot. And I think that he was frustrated. I think that he was ready to do something else. Now, was he ever going to be a San Francisco 49er? I think there was some smoke there. I don't think there was a lot of fire. I just think that there was too many complicating factors that would have prevented him from being a San Francisco 49er. First of all, is that what he truly wanted? Second of all, would the Bucks have accommodated him? Third of all, do the 49ers even have anything that they could trade to the Bucks after trading, you know, up and giving up so much to draft Trey Lance last year? Um, you know, would his family have gone for that? Moving again to the other side of the country or letting him be on the other side of the country for the entire football season? I think there's a lot of things that would have that made that complicated. But um, again, what's pretty obvious is the Bucks, you know, took advantage of Brady's desire to want to play and clearly convinced him that returning back to the Bucks gave him a good chance of winning a Super Bowl. And we'll see how it plays out. Well, I mean, we compare it to the Aaron Rodgers situation, whereas a year ago Aaron Rodgers felt he had no control over Green Bay, and now clearly he's running the organization in many respects. Brady, we, <laughs> Brady, we all assumed was running the organization, but does this even, I mean, it's hard to think how he could even have more power now, but it's almost, did he come back? Has he come back in a better position to have more power in terms of, it's it just, it's amazing. That's one thing I was surprised because I thought he was calling the shots there at Tampa. That was a little surprised by him coming back to Tampa saying, you know, because yeah. he, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I don't think that, like, he clearly has more say over things, I think, than he did in New England. There's no doubt about that. But, you know, he's one person, and, you know, he can't run the entire organization. Um, and, you know, clearly there was the desire to return. There was the desire to return to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, you know, my, my colleague, the great Jeff Darlington, said on TV it was Tampa or bust. And so I think that um, that evolution to me is interesting. I mean, clearly the Bucks knew that, he might not be able to stay retired long. I mean, that that's well documented and it's public that GM Jason Light was, um, you know, leaving the light on for Tom Brady <laughs> is, what, is what he said. He but, left the light and the door yeah. and everything. <laughs> yeah. But still, Tom had to walk into it. And, you know, how he got there, I think, is is a fascinating thing that hopefully, um, you know, we'll, we'll look into reporting and there, some be, and there will be some good reporting on and how much do you think about the Antonio Brown situation this year? It seemed like that was just such a mess during the year, the vaccination, everything. And then it's certainly the final game when he walks out of MetLife Stadium at total disaster. It seemed like people were criticizing Tom Brady. You vouched for him. So now, like, what was Tom Brady supposed to do? Is it, yeah, I vouched for him. What am I, am I supposed to you know, retire because I vouched for someone who didn't stand up to what I thought he was going to be? Yeah, I mean, look, I... I think that he's, you know, it's one of those things you see people saying in retrospect, like Mike Tomlin deserved many coach of the year awards <laughs> for the fact that they were able to get Antonio Brown to be a productive and, and relatively, you know, quiet member of the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, it's just obvious that the person, you know, that Antonio Brown has issues that are not going to be fixed in a pro football facility. And, He's a disruption, and he makes things difficult, and he puts the leaders of the team in, in incredibly difficult public situations. So I, I don't know firsthand if the Bucks were upset that Tom Brady vouched for Antonio Brown. Obviously, he caught a touchdown in the Super Bowl that they won. Can't be too unhappy about that. I don't know if Tom Brady was upset with the way that the Bucks handled Antonio Brown, but, you know, I think that Antonio Brown has showed the world who he is and – I don't think that the Bucks or Tom Brady or anybody else is going to be able to do anything to prevent Antonio Brown from being exactly who he is. And then what about the relationship you think now? I mean, it seems like with Arians and, and Brady, is it, I mean, you heard there was some friction a little bit, but it, you know, it seems like there isn't any. So what, what is this, where's the truth in between or where is the truth really on this? Well, I think that Tom Brady always liked Bruce Arians and likes him incredibly like, you know, loves him as a person. 
I think the question again is like, you know, are they as buttoned up? I mean, he's used to a certain style of football and there's a reason why Bill Belichick might be cold and emotionless at times, but is unquestionably the green, the game's greatest coach. And Bruce Arians is one of the most likable guys ever and is unquestionably a very good coach. There's a difference. And Tom Brady is used to one particular way of football teams being prepared for games and playing situations. And, you know, the Bucks just aren't the same. And there's pros with that and cons with that. But I think that at the end of the season, I think he was upset about, um, you, you know, the fact that the Bucks weren't as buttoned up as teams that he was accustomed to. And, you know, even after they came back from a 20 to three, 27 to three deficit against the Rams in, in less than a half, you know, they still figured out a way to lose that game. And, you know, I think that he was tired and he was ready for something else 41 days ago and clearly 41 days away led him to reconsider. How do you think this is um, turning out in New England? Like, I was, when it happened, when he first announced he was back, I was wondering if, like, did Bill Belichick say, well, I knew he was going to come back? And did Robert Kraft say, yeah, I knew Tom was going to come back? I'm not surprised. I think that they couldn't have been surprised. I mean, they know Tom Brady's ambition as well as anyone's. And especially someone like Coach Belichick, knowing football as well as he does, probably notices a lot of the blind spots in the Bucks' coaching style that someone like Tom Brady would definitely pick up on. Um, but, you know, that said, Tom Brady, you know, you didn't need any great window in the Tom Brady psyche to know that he might come back because he provided it himself a week after he walked away when he said, you never say never on coming back and did everything he could to leave that door open. And, um, you know, as we said, I mean, you know, these, these passions and, and, you know, sort of the way that people are wired gets worse over age, not better. And so in that regard, it's not surprising at all that Tom Brady came back and even as he, that he came back as a Tampa Bay Buck, um, you know, this is who he is. He's a lot of things. I mean, at this point, he's a global icon. He runs his own clothing brand. He runs a gym and a diet and a lifestyle wellness type of, um, uh, you know, methodology. But he is a quarterback at his heart, and I think he knows that. And it's just obvious that he needs the game more than the game needs him. Oh, I love how you say that. That's great. Well, Seth, thank you so much. I know you're really busy today, and I really appreciate you coming back on Iron Sports and giving us some insight, considering you wrote the seminal book on the Patriots uh, about Tom Brady and about his decision to come back uh, from his, forty, I think, 41-day retirement. So thanks a lot for coming back and yeah. coming to Iron Sports. Great stuff there from uh, Seth Wickersham here on Iron Sports. This is the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. So, Ira... We're here. It's vasectomy week, and they say it's the most popular day to get a vasectomy is the Wednesday before the tournament starts so that all men can sit on the couch for four days and not have to do anything. Here we are, Ira, and I know that you love this as much as anybody. Well, big fan of the NCAAs. I, I remember even I remember I was I always went to school when I I never missed a day, but I got really sick and it was like right before the ACC tournament. And that's the days you were like, yes, so I was like, yes, I got Thursday, <laughs> Friday, Saturday. The games are on TV. And I, I it was the one time I remember stayed at home. I watched it on TV and I watched a lot of the championship games this week. I thought they were very exciting. Uh, Virginia Tech's win over Duke was thrilling. I mean, even on Sunday when Richmond beat Davidson, now Richmond had to win to get in the tournament and mm -hmm. they did. They won. They beat Davidson. Davidson was still in. But the Yale-Princeton uh, uh, game, the winner of that game was going to go in and Yale beat Princeton to go in. So even on Sunday at 3 or 4 o'clock, people were still fighting for those last spots. You're actually going to be uh, probably headed out to see a little bit of uh, the, the first round here. Well, I think I want to go to Greenville for Duke. On They play Cal State Fullerton on Friday night. If they win, they potentially will play Michigan State or Davidson on Sunday. So that would be good, to, even though Greenville, it's a little, it's it, it's a lot Further than I thought. I thought it was like 10, 9, 10 hours to drive. So it's a little hard to fly there. We're interested uh, to hear what happens next week, how everything went. But let's start in the West, Ira. How did that uh, shake out? Well, I think, look, they put Gonzaga as the one seed and Duke as the two seed. And, and when we're saying Greenville, I, I was shocked that Duke was put there because I was thinking that Duke for the next round, either they requested to be in Chicago because this is coach K's final year and he's from Chicago. 
And the other region they could have put in them in is Phil is the East. They could have played in Philadelphia where they had the Christian Leitner shot. So there was a lot of reasons. Or San Antonio was the other one. And I'm like, with the West where they're going to play in Golden State, the Arena Chase Center where Golden State plays. So I thought that was weird to put them out there. Now Gonzaga played Duke early in the year. Duke won that game. So it's that is something if Duke can get through that. But they play the two games in Greenville, make it to the Sweet 16, and the Sweet 16 will be in the Chase Center. In this region, I'll tell you, I like you know, I like Gonzaga and I like Duke and I like you know, I can't pick against Duke. I have to. It's just impossible. I, I could try <laughs> as much as I want. People like the Davidson. Now the point guard for Davidson is a transfer from Michigan State. This is the seven ten game. People like the Davidson over Michigan State to win that game. Uh, in the in the game that six eleven game, Rutgers plays Indiana. That's the one thing. The last four teams in were Rutgers, Indiana, Notre Dame, and Wyoming. And everyone's debating is Rutgers on the bo- bubble. Indiana, these teams they were going to put these big teams on because they play like on Tuesday. That game is like on Tuesday or Wednesday. And so that's what the NCAA, they didn't want SMU on that game. So, I mean, no one's really arguing about the teams that didn't get in. Like Texas A&M didn't get in. They made it to the finals of the SEC to- tournament, but they had so many bad losses like to Vanderbilt, like twice in the middle of the year. So I haven't seen a lot of, it's like, boy, you can't make the top 68, then it's okay playing the NIT. Um, but I like a pick that people are really liking is the 413 game is Arkansas and Vermont. Vermont, we see it. Vermont has done very well in the tournament. They're they're an awesome team with some with some with NBA quality player. Uh, so I think that could be maybe the, the one upset. The eight nine game is Boise State Memphis. Memphis is coached by Anthony Penny Hardaway. They've been had an up and down year, but they've been on fire lately. They're they've been winning a lot of games. So even though that game is in like the Portland area, so it's a it, it's a benefit to Boise. But then Gonzaga would play. Memphis, which would be very exciting. But I really like from that region, I think the upsets are the Davidson upset over Michigan State, Vermont upset over Arkansas, and then Gonzaga-Duke meeting in the Elite Eight. To give us a look into the South uh, bracket. Well, Everyone loves Arizona. I mean, I watched that champion, the Pac-10 championship game. They totally blew out UCLA. Arizona looks totally loaded. It's funny. The Arizona coach was the assistant, longtime assistant Gonzaga. So they could actually play each other, you know, Mark Few and the Arizona coach. But uh, And then in the bottom of the draw is Nova, is Villanova. They're the number two seed. And then Tennessee. People thought Tennessee should be. They won the SEC title. They were playing really well. They thought they would be a two seed. I don't really think it matters. Like two, three. They were going to play each other anyway. And they don't play on their home court or it doesn't matter. But so Tennessee, I after watching Tennessee and watching Villanova play now, it's that's a tough one. Villanova's a lot of those people, they have a lot of players that are like 24 years old that have played in the championship game years ago. So part of me thinks that Villanova is going to get there. This could be another one-two zone uh, Nova. Um, upsets in this. It's hard to say an upset. Colorado State is a 16. Michigan's 11. I think Colorado State's going to win this game. But the point is that when they win it, people say, oh, Colorado State upset Michigan. It's not really an upset. Yeah. You know, it's like <laughs> Michigan's Michigan, they, they, whatever. But um, I, I, I'm not really picking any upsets there in terms, of, in terms of this. A lot of people like Loyola Chicago over Ohio State in another 7-10 upset game. I still think Ohio State's better than Loyola Chicago. So I'm afraid to pick against them from that. Let's uh, take a look into the Midwest bracket. Well, Auburn is exciting to watch, and everybody everybody should watch it. That team with Bruce Pearl is just they – the ball gets thrown up on the opening tap, and they just go. They're pressing. They're running fast breaks. They're fun to watch. Kansas is fun to watch, too. I mean, this is going to be – if they make – if it gets Kansas and Auburn. Now, exciting thing down here, Miami. Miami plays USC in the uh, first round. It, that's in Greenville also. If Miami wins that game, then they play Auburn. I, I'm not sold on USC. I think Miami can win that game. So that's one of my other upset picks. I think my the 10 seed Hurricanes are going to beat the Trojans. But what a game, you know, Miami and USC from a football perspective. Yeah. Right? <laughs> football powers. Um, another game that I like the upset. Everyone likes this. Providence and South Dakota State. They're like, Providence and South Dakota State. Providence has had some bad losses at the end of the year, and South Dakota State just wins them like 20-some games. All these teams that win these conferences usually have these crazy records that have lost a couple games. But they shoot almost 50% from three. Like, they're one of the greatest three-point shooters. And in the NCAA tournament, that's what, you know, you get those threes, threes, threes. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I agree. I've, I saw South Dakota State play one time at like 2 in the morning, and I like them. So I agree. I think that could be an upset there. But you have Iowa playing Richmond. I'm... I don't know. I think Richmond, it, that's a really good, that's a, I like Richmond a lot. I like how they played. I still think Iowa wins that game, but it, it comes down to like, you know, Kansas, Auburn seems to be, you know, those, the three seed Wisconsin is a good team, but I do like Auburn. It's hard to pick against these one twos as much as I think there's parody and everything, but it's hard to pick against uh, Auburn and Kansas making it to the, to the, to the lead eight. Yeah. There's a decent shot, you know, history showing that 
one of the ones or two is going to lose in the first round. It's just really hard to do that on your bracket to go out on a, you know such a limb like that. Especially Unless you, when you submit like a million brackets and then you can pick one. <laughs> and and then, uh, finally, Ira, tell, tell us about the East. The East is so f- is funny because you put now two teams that people really love as Baylor. Now last year, of course, Baylor played Gonzaga in the championship game and pulled off a, a, a what I thought was an upset. They've lost all their players, but they came back. Scott Drew is a phenomenal coach, and defensively, they're just loaded. And I, so Baylor, but I really like this St. Mary's. I've seen St. Mary's play a bunch of times. I think St. Mary's could beat Baylor. I'm a call me crazy, but that. They're the five seed. I, they could pull the upset. Also, North Carolina is the eight seed, and Marquette's the nine. I mean, these has all these teams that I'm excited about. Baylor won, and then the winner of that game plays. You know, you could have Baylor-Carolina as yeah. a second-round game to go to the Sweet 16. And then you have UCLA, you could have a UCLA versus St. Mary's game to go to the Sweet 16. So the East, to me, is that's a fun that's bracket on that side. And then on the bottom of it is Kentucky. And everyone likes Murray State. Murray State is is on a roll, and uh, they're the seven seed. They're playing ten, and but you just everyone likes Murray State, but they're like I don't think they can beat Kentucky, so that <laughs> they would play Kentucky the next. But I love Virginia Tech. Now this is the upset I would pick would be eleven Virginia Tech over Texas. I watched, of course, Virginia Tech through the whole ACC tournament, and they just totally dominated Duke. They looked amazing. I think they will beat Texas. I think they can beat Purdue, and uh, I don't know if they can beat Kentucky, but I, if you're going to have a team, like an 11 seed go through, that's where I think they could potentially beat Kentucky. You could have Baylor, Virginia Tech, and Baylor going to the, to the thing, but that's the one team that I think could get through. Anything else, uh, NCAA tournament, before we talk about it with uh, Coach Fran Dunphy? Um, one of the other early games, the Tuesday-Wednesday games, Wyoming and Indiana, that is the, one of those teams. that. So the, on Tuesday and Wednesday, you'll turn the TV on, and you're like, what am I watching? They take the two <laughs> top 16. They take the four teams that were the last teams in. That would be the Indiana, Notre Dame, Wyoming, uh, and they, they, have, they have those teams play and to get into the, quote, the play-in game, and day, they're playing in Dayton. And they take the four automatic qualifiers, the last four, and you're going to see Bryant versus Wright State. They play. So it's there's a 68 team field, not a 64 team, but those for the top, the final eight are, are playing those games on Tuesday and Wednesday, which are exciting because when you turn on Thursday and Friday, there's a million games on. Mm-hmm. But on Tuesday and Wednesday, there's just one game on each of those nights. Let's go to Coach Fran Dunphy. It's Iron Sports. This is Iron Sports, 95.9, 106.9, West Palm Beach. And I am honored to have one of the best college basketball coaches of all time, Coach Fran Dunphy from the University of Pennsylvania, Temple University. Uh, 580 wins, 64% winning percentage, 17 teams taken to the NCAA tournament. Coach Dunphy, thank you so much for coming on Iron Sports. Well, thanks, Ari. You're, you're nice to speak of me that way. You're a little bit biased, but that's okay. I appreciate it. I, it's easy to be biased because you're a great coach with so many great players and and so many great teams. And this is a, a time of the year, the NCAA, it's just so exciting and with the brackets coming out. And I know so many times you've had, I mean, 17 times you had teams that were just looking to see where you're going to go. And I guess put yourself, you know, back. Think about those days when you, you know, had those teams. Your whole year, you sort of know who you're playing. You have a schedule out, and then you play for two, three months in a conference. You know the teams, and suddenly you're thrust into on a Sunday playing a team that you have no idea who you're going to play, and you have to be prepared in like three days to play them. <laughs> yeah, but it's it, it's everybody's in the same boat, you know, and you and you get so much film over those couple of days and oftentimes you know the teams you've watched them during the course of the year and you've followed uh, so many other teams so it's it's the most exciting time though I mean when if you're in there as an automatic qualifier that's one thing and then there were a few a number of times at Temple that we were uh, you know a, a uh, at-large team and that's that's crazy and some of the time we were on the boat but you know when you're when you're sitting there that Sunday afternoon waiting for your name to be called, it's just unbelievable the tension that's out there. And when you when you get in, it's uh, pretty special. And it, it's special anytime you can go. It's a, a phenomenal time. And uh, But the other thing I would like to say to you and to your group here is that uh, these, these uh, conference playoffs are unbelievable as well. So much pressure and so many great plays and uh, comes down to – to a possession here or there that that wins or loses the game. It's just incredible what these kids go through. Uh, I just admire them. I admire where they are in their lives. And the, and I, I think about them often and you, you relish when they're, they're, they're so juiced to be, to be successful. And, and you, you're disappointed when you, you see how, 
uh, how low they get after not being able to to go to the tournament. Well, like Richmond had to play to get in you know, on Sunday at 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock in the afternoon and, and was able to get that great victory. I guess I guess when you had teams that were on the bubble and they got in, like you didn't know if you were going to get in or not, and you, how, did, how did the room feel? It was almost, was it like that shot of energy just through the entire room when suddenly you see your name, you know, called that you are going to be in the tournament? Well, you know, I'm such a such a, a a bad guy in those situations. The, the kids would typically be in the locker room, and I just couldn't sit there. So I would be walking around the court, and they'd have to either text me or come and get me. And one year, uh, you know, they they didn't come and get me, and they didn't text me, and we didn't get in, and we thought we were going to be in, and the disappointment was unbelievable. And yet, I had to get in front of a, a press a press room and say, you know, if this is the worst thing that happens to these kids in their lifetime, they're going to be okay. We thought we were going to get in the NIT, and we did, and we had a nice little run in the NIT. We made it to New York for the semifinals, and the, and then uh, and a couple of years later, they came and got me, and uh, there's nothing like that feeling. Everybody was excited, and they were just juiced. It was really neat to watch, and but it's it's tension-filled. There's no question about it. Now, when you were at Penn, you had teams that were seated 11, 12, 13, 14, and you're prepared to, to uh, play these, you know, four or five seeds, maybe two and three seeds. And you had a big win, the Nebraska win, when you upset Nebraska, and then you had a, a double overtime loss to Alabama. But what was it like in terms of getting, when we, we try to look at a bracket and look at these 12 te- teams that are in the 12 and 13 range, what are you seeing that say, well, that's, that's a team that can really pull that upset. They're, they're capable of doing that. Well, you, you have so much respect for all of these teams that get in. And so they're obviously, if they're in the tournament, they've had a, a terrific year. And so on any given day, you, you can beat another team, even though it may be a 12-5 or a, a, a 13-4 kind of situation. But you're going to have to play your very best basketball game Somebody's going to have to step up and just have a phenomenal game, you know, like four or five threes or, or your defense has to carry you and, and maybe the opposition doesn't play particularly well on a given day. But it, these things happen. They don't happen a lot, obviously, but that's the, the miracle of, of uh, the, the, the uh, March Madness, you know, where teams just come from nowhere and they, they have these great wins like UMBC a couple of years ago against Virginia. I mean, that was just incredible how well those kids played. So you, you stand in admiration for those kids and they, they, they think they're, they've got a chance to win it. And that's all, that's all you want for your guys. And as a coach and, and you're in a game and you, and maybe you have seen another team, maybe not show the respect. Oh, just because like I said, just because you're a two or three team doesn't mean that you're so much better than the other. And then when suddenly you're into those close games, because in so many of our NCAA tournament games, you were just, I mean, it was like to the wire, almost every game, what the pressure that, that in terms of when the uh, the favorite team is like getting nervous as a coach as as an underdog team, are you feeding that onto your players and like you know this is you can see you know they're getting tighter and this you know the top ranked team is getting more nervous. Yeah, you say all all sorts of stuff to your guys, you know, and, and in preparation before the game, in the practices leading up to it, and then when you're in the game and you you know you say things like. How about how great this is? We can't be having any more fun than this. We're in this game. We, we've got a chance to win this. Let's take advantage of it. You know, and there's so many things you use uh, as just a coach or a, a leader that you just want these kids to enjoy the moment and don't feel uptight. Just you know, play the game and give it your best effort. And if you do that, then everything's going to be okay. Now, turning to this year's tournament, I know you did some broadcasting this year uh, and caught you some of your games. What teams did you have you seen that you feel that, wow, like I like this team a lot? Like there might have been, like when you look at this tournament, it's a whole year, but some teams had injuries. They're playing better now. What's, what are some teams that you think might be a little, quote, undervalued when the tournament starts? Well, I don't, I don't know if you can say a team like Baylor would be undervalued. I saw them early against Villanova. And uh, the the way they defended Villanova, Villanova is really a good basketball team anyway, and they play really solid defense. And they just played Villanova so tough. Uh, and, uh, so I think it's that kind of, uh, of dedication to that, that side of the game almost that really makes you into every game. You're not going to be, you're not gonna be uh, giving a, a game away. They're going to have to beat you. 
And so that that would be a, how I would look at a team like Baylor. You, you got to beat them. They're not going to beat themselves. Villanova is the same way. They they don't beat themselves. They make you beat them. And uh, as teams like that, you know. And then uh, Gonzaga is at their time right now. Uh, they've been close in a number of years, and they have a, a terrific basketball team. And you know, can Duke do it? You know, you're you're watching Mike in his last year, and you see that last game. Uh, regular season game against uh, Carolina, and how about how great Virginia Tech played? So maybe there's a that kind of game within uh, six to ten of these teams that are in that tournament. I think that's one of the things in this year's tournament. There could be ten or twelve of these teams that could actually emerge as a winner. Yeah, I mean that that was one of the one of the big things in terms of just the the. the I guess last year we saw Baylor and Gonzaga and thought those were the two best teams and they met. And this year you really can think that if, if maybe one of the, you know, one of it, every 20 teams, you're not going to be shocked that a four or five seed or even a, a seed of less, you know, lesser than that makes it because of the, of the uh, parody in terms of basketball. I would agree. I totally agree. You know, is there a Loyola of Chicago out there in this year's group that can just emerge because everything comes together and, and, uh, and that's what, Mike Young of Virginia Tech said to his guys, you know, that this this could really be a special group if we all bring it together at the same time here. This could be a we could do some special things. And obviously, beating Duke for the uh, ACC championship was a really a special accomplished by them. And and again, an under under appreciated sometimes, and an underrated guy like Mike Young who can really coach and has doing he's doing a terrific job at Virginia Tech. But he, for years, he did a, a wonderful job where he was at Wofford. And then the whole idea about with the transfer portal and, and the COVID and teams or players came back for the super, they call them super seniors. So you're having teams in this tournament that have 23, sometimes 24-year-old players playing against 18-year-old players. So that's something that could help some of these teams in terms of having people that are just more mature, uh, ready for, this, for tough games. That's been a lot of the conversation over the last couple of years that you, you want to have an older team with you in these in these championship runs, you know, and and you're right. The transfer portal has been has changed the game dramatically at this point. And the one thing you worry about with that is that are the seniors in high school being paid as much attention as they once were? And you, the answer to that is probably no. Uh, there's many programs out there that are getting older and not uh, taking it maybe a chance on a on a young fella that might be. Uh, down the line, very, very good ba- basketball player, but they're they're opting for uh, the the uh, the more veteran guys. It seems like to me. So uh, it, it's been an interesting thing to watch, and and I I think college basketball is in, a, in an in- interesting transition here uh, with all the things that are going on and where we're going to wind up with this uh, NIL issue and how that's going to affect the game as well. So we're we're in very interesting times here. Well, I think the interesting time is, and, and I think about this in some of these players that are going to say going to the G League and in a league that no one's watching on television and saying, well, I'm not going to a G League, but I could go. And if I'm going to get NIL money, I'm going to be on national television now. Everyone's going to be watching me play for a college, whether I go to Arkansas or Texas Tech or just throwing out names like that. I think that's what makes it, you know, maybe some of the athletes will think about that saying, look, I could be on national television and make more NIL money than I would, you know, when the G League's paying them whatever, $100,000, $200,000 through that. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a really good point. I think that, uh, again, we're, it's going to take a few years to figure out how this will all be. Uh, handled uh, as we move on here, but it, we're again in those interesting times, and you might be exactly right that maybe the uh, the young guys will, will go to school for a couple of years and 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 stay there and and have some pretty good careers and and increase their brand uh, and their their marketing value as well. Well, because you're right, more people are watching those games than than are watching these G League teams. So who are you predicting? Do you have a, do you have a favorite? I mean, you, it seems like you like Baylor because of what they did. I mean, certainly I was shocked with that Gonzaga victory last year. I thought Gonzaga was going to pull it off. And Baylor, your defense was tremendous. And if they bring that same defense this year, it's, they're going to be hard to beat. Yeah, I, I would agree. I would agree. And, and uh, it, it, all these teams are How about Kansas and, and some of the things that they've done uh, as you close out the year? I mean, and, and that guy's had a terrific – coaching career at Kansas. He's a very, very good coach, and they have wonderful players. But you can go up and down the line. You know, can, can Kentucky have a, 
a great run in, in this tournament. That's what's so exciting about it to to watch who's going to really arrive uh, when the lights go on come uh, Tuesday tomorrow night for for a, a number of teams, but uh, on Thursday and Friday in their first round games for the most part. The Ivy League had uh, you just talk, we talked about conference championships earlier, but I just want to get to this point is that the Ivy just started having conference championships and it was pretty exciting to watch Yale and Princeton yesterday and uh, Penn lost in, in the in the semifinals doing that stitch at the top four Saturday, Sunday. Do you give a lot of credence into how these teams are doing in these conference tournaments and, and the momentum they're generating? You just mentioned Virginia Tech. That, that'll carry over or will they be too tired to go into the NCAA tournament? Yeah, I don't, I don't see the tired piece. I think these guys are so well conditioned uh, and the coaches... These days, uh, you know, back in the day, you would you would practice two and a half and three hours sometimes later in the year. Well, you don't see any of the coaches doing any of that anymore. It's uh, you really worry about trying to have fresh legs, and so, and, and you're listening to your players much more than you did in the past. So, and I think those are all really good things. So I don't see the tired piece. I, I do see the you know the nervousness occasionally jumping in there, and it's a it's a different world in that NCAA tournament, but. Uh, but I, I don't see how, how like a team like Virginia Tech is going to be any more uh, stressed in a NCAA game than they were against Duke uh, the, in the finals of their Atlantic Coast Conference tournament. So uh, again, I, I think it's just that to me, it's all in the, the leadership on the floor. If your best players are great leaders and great workers and, and care deeply about their teammates, you, you got a chance to make this thing a, a deep run in the tournament. Well, you, during your coaching career, you had so many great players and so many great leaders. I could just list them forever. And I so appreciate you coming on I Run Sports and talking about the NCAA and about college basketball. So, Coach Dunphy, thanks again for coming on I Run Sports. I really appreciate it. Uh, anytime, Ira. You're a good man and a good friend, and I'm grateful for that relationship. Oh, that's good. Well. I thank you so much. Always great stuff there from uh, Coach Fran Dunfrey here on Ira on Sports. It's 747. This is the True Oldies channel. Ira, just about 13 minutes to go. We still have so much to cover. So I think everyone's going to leave the weekend with Tom Brady being back as being the biggest news. But baseball returned over the course of the past week. Me and you are thrilled about it. Yeah, I'm pumped because we get some spring training action. We get a 162-game season. So I'm excited. And and there was, at first, we had uh, Jared Diamond on last week. And he's like, I don't, you know, at first everyone thought it would it would start on time and we'd have the whole full season. But I think people got nervous. I mean, the last, I'll tell you this, last week, they the owners put up, a, owners really tried to make this happen. Mm-hmm. The players voted 8 to nothing against the last layer, the, the owner's proposal. Eight to nothing against it. These are Scott Boris clients that are all sitting yeah. on the committee. Then they finally, the rank and file said, whoa, 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 let's take a vote. So then the teams voted 26 to four for it. Like, <laughs> we want to play. Like, it's like, why are we wasting our, this is our money. We're, we're 22, 23, 24, 28 years old. We can't just blow, throw away a year. We've already lost a year for COVID. I'm making a lot of money. I want to pay it. And they're happy with what happens. I mean, look at the changes. Uh, the, the minimum salary went up from 525 to 700,000. Um, there's now this, uh, the cap, supposedly cap went from 210 to 230 we'll go up to 244 204 when i mean 244 million dollars they have a new thing that they never had before 50 million dollars for if you have a rookie deal and you do really well and say like corbin burns was one's the national league cy young instead of making 600,000 you make four million dollars so Big that's going to be every year 50 extra million dollars and they uh the thing that solved it was they they were going to those markets like the Pirates said, we need an international draft, which I think you should have. I think it's ridiculous that you don't have a draft for the international players. And uh, the players were like, no, 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 no international draft. We don't want one. And so they shelved. They're going to talk about it later. But that was something that was pushed from the small market owners. But uh, and then also, if you're if you're in the top two for rookie of the year, that counts as a full year. There's going to stop the games of playing with the players that like, you know, bringing people up in May and June and saying, oh, your year starts the next year. Um, the big thing that people will see is the rules. Um, for the first time in 50 years, you're going to have both leagues playing with a designated hitter. About time, Which Ira. was huge. I mean, and we have been discussing this. It's like years when they had, there was, there was such a debate because when I remember the Pirates years and years ago, decades ago, their pitchers could hit really well. But not only just hit, they could bunt, they could do other things, advance the runners. They weren't an automatic out. It's beyond now. They don't even take the. They don't even take the <laughs> bat sort of off like their shoulder. Out now, yeah. They don't even swing because if they swing, they'll hurt their shoulders. If they try to run to first base, like I've seen pitchers actually get hits and not try to run to first base because mm-hmm. it'd be too injured. They'll they'll get injured. If that. you remember Chen Ming Wang, uh, the Yankees pitcher, pretty much ended his career rounding second base against the Nationals. 
Never was right again after that. And he's, this is a guy who's like 6'7". He's goofy. He's not, you know, he's not equipped to be sprinting around the bases. Messed up his knee. Never was the same again. And we all were, and we saw the swing of the designated hitter. Nelson Cruz now just signed with the Nationals. He's clearly will never play the field. And he just came in over for his play. It seems like he played for everybody Nelson Cruz did. Yeah. <laughs> but the point is, and also I think the advantage that the American League teams have, like the Yankees, they could just sign any National League player that just got old. We'll just bring them over mm-hmm. here. You know, the Albert Pujols will yep. just bring these people over. I think that takes away that advantage that the American League had uh, for taking some of those players. No, listen, I'm all for this. I can't believe it took that long. <laughs> um, do you want to talk about? We've already got some some deals flying around, free agents uh, moving around. What's uh, what struck you so far? One last thing, they added twelve oh. now for the playoffs. So it'll be twelve teams, not ten teams. Hate it. So <laughs> you hate I you I hate it too. Also, it's a, you have a first round, two teams get buys. It's really complicated. But two teams get buys. You have a three game series, a bunch of four three game series at one park, not home and away. So best out of three. Then those winners play, and then it's best out of five. And then mm-hmm. best of seven. But instead of, you know, the players did not want to increase it because they're saying if we have more teams in, people, less people are going to spend. Like they were the ones pushing back, saying we don't want it. Also, they don't get paid to play in the playoffs. So they wanted to have less teams. But now there's 12 teams. And to think that a few years ago, it was only like six teams made the playoffs. So suddenly now we've gone to 12. Let's talk about the Yankees deal first and foremost. And this is one I don't have a problem with this. I do think that this trade was more about um, Kaina Falefa than it was Josh Donaldson, even though Josh Donaldson's the former MVP got the name credit. They both had about a, a 3.2 war last year, and the two guys combined that the Yankees gave up in Gio Urshela and Gary Sanchez had a 1.3 war combined. So if just from a war standpoint, they won big on this trade, and Yankees fans wanted Gary Sanchez out of town, and they got that. Well, I think that's what they were talking about. They were waiting were waiting to see what the Dodgers move. The Yankees and Dodgers were waiting for to see. Let's see. They were They were quiet. Before the 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 uh, the strike or the lockout, and now they're active in making this trade, bringing on salary with Josh Donaldson. I think the big thing about this is when they went from two ten to two thirty, they gives them twenty more for the competitive balance tax, the cap, because the cap went up. Now they're able to take on more salaries. They like Donaldson. They, the move that I take from this whole thing is the Yankees are going to say we defense is important, yes. but but now they're going to have a shortstop that doesn't hit home runs. You're going to have a catcher that doesn't hit. They're going to their catching will not hit home runs, so it's going to put more pressure on the Aaron Judges and the Stantons to hit home runs. We realistically though didn't have a shortstop on the roster. You know you were going to have Glaber Torres was terrible last year. He would not have been given the job again. It was going to be Gio Urshela. That's what Aaron Boone said. Now they have a legitimate defensive stud at shortstop, and yeah, you're right. The Cashman saying. This team cannot be porous on the left side of the infield. Urshela was good. Donaldson's better. And Kiner Falefa, he is a bona fide gold glove candidate. So I'll take this one. A little bit strange came across my board today, Ira. Matt Olson traded, as as uh, Oakland continues to just sell everyone, traded to the Braves, who have Freddie Freeman sitting there as a free agent. A little strange. Well, that I think that might signal the fact they're not going to sign Freddie Freeman. And now the question is where Freddie Freeman goes. And does Freddie Freeman sign with the Dodgers? I mean, this, Freddie Freeman is star of the World Series, star of the Braves. Excellent player. Uh, just all around great player. Everybody, it's this. This could be the dot. This could be they think that he's going to go to the Bra- the Dodgers. This could be the Dodgers' move to put. Now the Dodgers only have one player signed long term, which is Mookie Betts. And uh, this, they lost Corey Seager. And they lost Corey Seager because they said, when they lost Corey Seager, they're like, no, don't worry, we'll sign someone. And they, this might be that Freddie Freeman goes to the Dodgers. Um, do you want to talk about some that nobody's talking about it for some reason, but for Fernando Tatis got a broken wrist. He's going to miss the start of the season. Three months start of the season. Yeah. So here's someone who was the third of the National League MVP, 42 home runs, 100 RBIs, signed a 14-year, $340 million contract. He's going to be out for three months. I mean, when did this happen? Like, when did he just announce how, you know, the lockout's gone, I have a broken wrist or whatever. He's celebrating, get, getting back to playing baseball. I heard something also interesting before we leave baseball. Carlos Correa is a free agent for the Astros. I've already seen him. We're down here at West Palm Beach. We'll see him. They're starting spring training Thursday, Friday, Friday here in West Palm Beach. But Correa switched agents from to Scott Boris this year. Mm-hmm. And because he started negotiating with CAA, this other agent, some people think that Boris is going to have him sign a $50 million deal because he has to share the contract with some oh. other. And then he'll sign next year the huge contract with someone else. So that we might see Bora, we might see Correa. There's some rumors that he might sign like a one-year $50 million deal. Let's talk about the golf. Uh, just ended a little while ago. And... I hate when weather gets in the way of things, but that weather was the talk of the weekend, Ira, between the rain and then the wind, which is even more impressive. You had no idea. They were playing the second round on on on, on Saturday. I mean, it was, it was like a second, a second round Sunday. 
They finished the second round Sunday. It was a, it was a complete mess. They they barely finished it today. Like at the final, this wasn't just a Monday finish. Like we saw the Honda when they finished Monday. It's in the morning. This was a Monday. They if they went to a playoff, they would have had to play have a Tuesday finish. The rain you had rain on Thursday. You had rain on Friday, and then on Saturday and Sunday it was like thirty degrees. It was so cold. Mm-hmm. They still played, but it was just a complete mess of a tournament. Something that you know, and the big surprise to me is really now we got first of all congratulate cam smith for winning yes, congratulations <laughs> number 10 in the world uh he won with 34 under the century in hawaii he was 33rd in the gents this year you might know cam smith from the masters he's like mr masters and you probably should bet on him this year in 2018 he was fifth 2020 was his second and so he really is like someone who does extremely well but in the 17 other majors he's been in he's at, doesn't have a top 10 uh and he lives in jacksonville he's only 20 years old from australia as i said before but he came on today and had a tremendous final round uh, to win. It just it putted well. Uh, the, the big story, I think, a lot is that Brooks Kepka, 72 and then an 81. I mean, these players could not deal. Some of it was the timing of when the weather was, but he shot an 81. He had triple bogeys and double bogeys. He played the 17, the Island Green did five over par. Uh, Jordan Spieth shot a 72 and a 79. Xander Shoffley, 72 and 78. Gary Woodland, who was playing really well, shot in at 79 for a second day. And Cora, these guys didn't even make the cut. Colin Marikawa shot a 73 and 75. And none of the Cam Smith is a big-name golfer. He's ranked 10th in the world. But the really big-name golfers just struggled the whole time. Justin Thomas made a little run, but then he had some double bogeys and wasn't able. I mean, these, this is a lot of water on this course. I wish I, I love going to this tournament. But uh, players were, like on Saturday, I think like 30 balls went into the water on 17, which is amazing. But at the end of the game, end of the day, uh, Smith and, and Keegan Bradley, who was haven't heard that of, name in a while, came out of nowhere, and, and Keegan Bradley was one shot down. But on 17, he bogeyed, and then on, and he hit a double bogey, hitting the ball in water on 18. And then Smith had a three shot lead going into he was leading uh, Lahiri from India uh, by uh, who has never won a tournament by three strokes. But Lahiri uh, birdied 18 to cut within two. And then Smith, who had this big lead, hits the ball in the water yeah. on 18 when it's really not a water hole. It was he was just chipping out from the pine straw, and the ball flies over into the water, like bounces, bounces, bounces in the water. Like, oh, my gosh, like you played a perfect tournament, and then you're going to blow it there. Um, what's the other story? Uh, Rom, John Rom finished 55th. He, he, he um, made the cut and then shot like a 77. Rory had a really had 66. His final, like Monday, was a 66. But uh, And Dustin Johnson who was totally out, just barely, whatever, had a 76, 73 and 76, shot a 63, a, a record today, and uh, finished in seventh place. And, and Victor Hovland, so Victor Hovland's been playing really well. I mean, he's yes, like he has. top 10. He's fourth in the world. He's 24 years old from Norway, and he's someone who, like Morikawa and Hovland, if you look at the trend lines, because Rom can't get in the top 10, you're looking at Morikawa and Hovland by the end of the year could be like, you know, one, two in the world. Uh, and then he had a big dispute with, Daniel Berger on the 16th hole uh, hit the ball in the water, and, and there was a question where the ball went in. And if you want to watch the video, it's pretty cool. Berger and Hovland got into a dispute over where the ball went. He's like, okay, you know, I'll, they brought, called a rules official and said, you guys settle it, which is really pathetic. And then, <laughs> and then they sort of settled it. But I think Berger and Hovland, I'd like to see, you know, we had talked about Bryson and Brooks. This could be some <laughs> sort of friction between Berger and, and Hovland on that. The, the new, the match. Yeah. <laughs> Hovland versus Berger. Uh, we got just a, a minute or two left here, Ira, but you uh, took in a lot of NBA this week. What else is going on? Um, I think that it, look the the Heat with Tyler Hero is just his game has stepped up against the Rockets. He scored twelve for eighteen, six for nine from threes, thirty one points. The Rockets are terrible, but Calamar Calamardin played great. Uh, I just loved how he played. But Phoenix comes in and they had lost to the the Heat uh, by twenty five earlier in the year. But they without Cam Johnson with without uh, CP three. Uh, Devin Booker played great. This whole team is amazing. And uh, eight had played, eight and destroyed Bam Adebayo, Cameron Payne. I liked something. Jay Crowder came back, and, and the Heat are such class organization. They let Jay Crowder be introduced last. So they purposely, so they got a standing ovation. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not like rushing through it. Like, I just like every, like small things that he do. I thought that was pretty cool. I really like that. They do everything that. right. I, I like that. And they, so the Heat lost to Minnesota, which is a bad loss to beat Cleveland. They played Detroit and Oklahoma City this week. Uh, they only have, which will be easy wins. There's 13 games left. They're going to be the number one seed in the East. So I really like how the Heat are playing, their depth. Um, Lowry's not playing great, but Gabe Vincent has come in at points. So I'm excited. The big game was uh, Thursday night, Sixers versus Nets. 
uh, Ben Simmons returning home to Philadelphia on the bench, sitting on the bench, and everyone was paying a fortune for the tickets. My friends all went to the game, and it was a game. It was a knockout in the first round. Durant was amazing. He played great. Kyrie played great. Defended Harden, and James Harden was horrendous. I mean, living up to the reputation of being just the worst big game performer. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, it's like he makes Clayton Kershaw look like fresh. I mean, it's <laughs> unbelievable how many big games. Just, even a regular season big game, Harden was uh, three for seventeen with eleven points, and then he's out partying in New York. Like I'm reading this. Wait, the game was in Philly. He's at a Travis Scott's birthday party in New York. Like that's not what they want to see. Even Stephen A. Smith criticized him for that. And then the other basketball thing I want to talk about was the Lakers. They lost to the Rockets on Wednesday night. I'm listening to the game in the parking lot of the Heat. I mean, they lose to the worst <laughs> team, the Rockets, in overtime. On Friday, they beat LeBron, scored 50 points. They beat Washington. And then on Sunday, they talked trash before the game against the Suns. With Davis, who's not even hurt, was talking trash. The Suns beat him by 30. That game was over. LeBron scored 31, but it was just, I mean, the Suns almost, I thought the Suns were scored 200 points in that game. The Lakers had no defense whatsoever. Um, but that was, a, it was a, still, I mean, I'm, I'm pumped. The playoffs start in like three weeks, and you know how much I love the NBA playoffs. Right after the final, right after the Masters, then you got the NBA playoffs. Remind us uh, what you're up to this week. Um, I have the two. I'll have to go to the Heat game tomorrow night against the Pistons, and I'll go Duke, uh, Duke in Greenville for the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament. Don't forget to uh, follow along with Ira's exploits at Ira on Sports Facebook, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Great we- Heat pictures. My Heat <laughs> pictures are really good. <laughs> You've been knocking it out of the park lately. Uh, thank you so much to Seth and Coach Dunphy. We're out of time. On behalf of Ira, I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. It's Ira on Sports.